uh, this is Christ the Redeemer. We were planted out of a church called Holy Trinity in Boise. And when that church was very young, a little fledgling congregation, I learned some things about peace from a really surprising man. He became more surprising the more I got to know him. His name was Bill, and he had been a career army officer. Uh, he had been among those first advisors that were sent into Vietnam to train the mountain tribes. So early 60s. Um, as you can imagine, he had seen horrible things. Especially as he was the only surviving member of his squad. Um, he was a special forces operations member. He had terrible nightmares in his 70s, still remembering those things. Uh, and his wife had to be very careful not to wake him or he would be dangerous. In his 70s, he was dangerous. Um, but he was a gentle, kind, gracious, giving man. I looked forward to when he, he read scripture. That's how he served the congregation. And I looked forward to when he read. He was a man of peace. That's remarkable, isn't it? He'd done three tours of duty in Vietnam. From him, I learned that peace is not the absence of awful things. It's not a mind kept perfectly free from the destruction of this fallen world. Otherwise, who gets peace? Nobody. Peace is not the absence of something unpleasant. It comes from the presence of something, someone. Peace comes from the presence of the Lord. It comes from the goodness that flows from being in his everlasting love, receiving his love. There can be peace beside a pristine mountain lake. That's the one we prefer. And there can be peace in the valley of the shadow of death. When Bill died and generals came from the Pentagon, they came to accompany his body to Arlington, only then did I know and learn that he had retired as the director of foreign intelligence. Who knew? The peace that he had with Jesus meant that he never had to make himself important. No one needed to know that. He didn't need people to know that. He had the approval of his father, and he knew it. So he had peace. It's not the absence of unpleasantness. It's the presence of someone. This, this fully rounded, this pervasive sense of peace. In Hebrew, it's called shalom. You've heard that before. It's what takes shape through the song of Zechariah that we read and that we're looking at this morning for this second Sunday of Advent. It's there in Luke chapter 1, so please open with me. Luke chapter 1. And here in this prophecy, we call it a song. It's a prophecy. There is not merely the cessation of conflict. 
It's not merely deliverance from enemies. It's not, it, this song, this vision of peace doesn't even stop at the restoration of God's ways for the nation. That's pretty awesome. God's plans restored. Zechariah's prophet, Zechariah prophesies the personal return of God with a people to live with them in love. And Christmas, which we're waiting for, longing for, in the Song of Zechariah is the dawn of peace. The dawn. The song that we sang, O day spring from on high appear. That's from the Song of Zechariah. Let's get a little context. Uh, Zechariah was in the line of Aaron. He was a priest. And he was serving in the temple. He would go into the temple, not, uh, this isn't the Day of Atonement. He goes into the temple before the curtain to burn incense. And he does that on a rotation and to bring prayers on behalf of the people. Nine months before this prophecy, he had gone in there, he was burning incense, and the angel Gabriel came and had a message for him, telling him that although he was very old and his wife Elizabeth was old, well beyond childbearing years, they would have a son. They would call him John, and he would be the herald and prophet of the Christ, the long-awaited king to come. Being old, having had no kids, not been able to, Zechariah was doubtful. And he questioned Gabriel. Not a thing to do, questioning an angel. Uh, and so he was unable to speak until this came to be, until John was born. And then on that day, as John was born, on the eighth day, he was circumcised, and then it was the naming. John writes on a tablet, his name is John. Sorry, Zechariah writes, his name is John. And his mouth was open, and this prophecy pours out. The Holy Spirit comes on Zechariah. Let's look. The first thing we see is praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice the verb tense. It's a pluperfect. It's a completed action. That is, Zechariah and Elizabeth and baby John, they are now back home out in the countryside village. And it sure doesn't look like this has been accomplished, but the, the song that he sings declares that these things have been accomplished. He has raised up. He has redeemed. He has visited us. And they look around and, no, I'm not sure. Ruling the Jews is Herod, who's not even a Jew. Herod is a client king of the emperor Caesar Augustus. This faraway ruler in Italy. Taxes are heavy. There are severe limits on how the Jews can govern themselves. They are able to worship God only in the ways that they are permitted to by their rulers, Herod and Caesar. They're worshiping in a temple that a non-Jewish king 
has spent 40 years building. Putting his touches, his personal preferences on it. The closest analogy I can think of for this is um, Soviet, the church in Soviet era Russia or communist China. The, so when these uh, communist controlled churches met together, oh, of course, yes, you're allowed to meet, but you're constrained by that government. What's your, how you're allowed to worship, what you're allowed to say. That's the Jewish situation here. That doesn't look like he has redeemed, he has raised up, it's completed. But when the Spirit sings this glory through Zechariah's mouth, that God has visited and he has redeemed, this message comes with the unique power that prophecy has. Prophecy from God that sees as accomplished what has not yet worked itself out in time. God has said it. It's as good as done, and so we can say it as completed. When God says it, it's certain. He has done it. We, we can have that same confidence. It sure doesn't feel like it. But we can, when we echo God's words in the scripture, and we, we sing things that he has said he is accomplishing, when he says that he will accomplish something, so especially now in this season of Advent, as we're looking forward to the fulfillment of the plans, to his return, we can sing with certainty things like, he rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. They are not doing that. But we can declare that as sure God said it. We can say it with certainty. So this coming of Christ, there as Zechariah speaks it, the deliverance from suffering that he further sings about, he sings as having been accomplished. Because verse 70, 70 to 72, it's rooted in the word. As God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And what is he talking about as having been accomplished? This is the piece that we most often think about. It's what little Henry said. It's also what uh, Zeke said. It's the part of peace that most of the world understands. Peace as the ceasing of opposition, the ceasing of turmoil. One of them said, like the, the waves that are stirred up, it's the coming calm. Well, in most of the world, that means the, the end of injustice, the end of coercion, the end of the exercise of power on those who are powerless, the end of violence. It's most of the world. In its modern Western form, negative peace, that's what this is called, peace from negation, it tends to mean the end of people making me uncomfortable. In America, it's common to think uh, of peace as 
having nothing to make me sad anymore. If only I can just not be made sad anymore, then I'll have peace. There's no one to say a mean word to me. Then I'll have peace. Or being so well adapted, we sometimes think about. I'm so well adjusted that even when the mean thing is said, I still have, I'm still comfortable, I'm still calm, placid. That does sound a bit anemic next to the ancient version. Saved from our enemies and from the hand, meaning physical control and oppression of all who hate us. It's, it's both peace. Our version is legitimate. Whatever the form of oppression, whether it's the rough ancient form or the more delicate modern form, there is an element of Christ's peace that will end hostility. That's there. Whatever form we long for, it's there. And for both Zechariah, these ancient Israelites, and for moderns, beginning to experience that peace is available before it's fully realized. We can begin to taste it, begin to have bits of it before it's full. Zechariah sings that the coming peace is based on the solemn word of God to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant, to grant, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, freedom from that, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. They're far from experiencing that. And yet, even in the very midst of the suffering, without any obvious movements towards this deliverance, God's people had been able to experience a measure of peace based on God's promises. God has sworn to bring it about. He made a covenant, swore on oath, and so having Faith in the trustworthiness of God to stand by his own word brings a measure of peace. This is faith. Faith is involved in peace. In the midst of suffering, when the thing that's promised is not realized, we can yet lay hold on, on it because God is faithful to deliver he does what he promises to do. And so they are trusting. Any faithful people in Israel had been trusting that God would bring about the deliverance that he promised. To serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So as they sit in the mud and the mud house made of uh, sticks and wattle, and grass roofs, and they're taxed out of their minds, they can have peace. Because it will not always be like this. A 
what he is going to bring, what they're longing for, is that they might serve him in righteousness and holiness all our days. This element of peace is unique to the kingdom of God. The other kind of peace the world understands, the cessation of conflict, oppression, opposition. But this is unique to the kingdom of God. Lives shaped by the character of God. By living according to God's design. By living lives that are right. Like they're supposed to live. Lives that are just. God made us to live in right relationship with our neighbors. He made us to live in right relationship with him. With values, with rhythms that he established. Ordered it around what's good. Him. That's the design. Bringing honor to our maker. So full peace requires this unleashed freedom to enjoy life as he designed it to be. The prophesied coming of the king that Zechariah sings about would mean the reestablishment of the order of Eden. Back to Eden. That's the, the king is bringing that. So even in suffering, we can lay hold of this as accomplished because God has sworn it. The coming of Christ is the beginning. What we look back to what Zechariah was looking forward to, that's the beginning. As the prophecy declares in verse 79, Christ brings the dawning of the glorious kingdom. Day spring from on high appear, and he'll guide our footsteps into the way of peace. And so because of that dawning, we we can have some measure of that peace now. Like them, to the degree that we place our faith in the sworn word of God, which seems like a fairly trustworthy word. These elements of peace are wonderful. Cessation of conflict, freedom from oppression, and freedom to live in the joyful liberty of God's ways. That's, that's in some ways, that's the picture that Isaiah gave us in the peaceable kingdom, in the scripture that was read to us. But the lion will lie down with the lamb. Under the authority of the king, Eden is restored. But full peace has one more decisive element. And it's the element that I think many, many Christians miss out. As a deliverer, God is mighty and good. Yes. He's a deliverer. He's mighty. He's good. As a giver of the good life, this restoration of order, God is mighty. He's good. And he's kind. He's given us this good thing. But the Spirit sings further through Zechariah. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. 
So Zechariah prophesies this state of peace that's desired, the people's salvation, that it comes through the forgiveness of sins because of the depth of God's love. We can imagine uh, a world in which God is mighty, powerful, and good, and he's set his world to function rightly. But he loves us. That's more. That phrase, tender mercy, it's the same concept as steadfast love in the Old Testament. There's a Hebrew word and a Greek word, but they're both representing the same thing. Steadfast love, tender mercy. God is Father, and he loves his people through the Son. So this prophecy is not... Is, is, he's saying that God is not only going to overlook a broken covenant. You have been a nasty people. You have been a rebellious people. And I am going to overlook that broken covenant and still give you good things. It's not just that. It's not just that he pardons sinners to show us a better way to live. This is the modern American version of this, I think. Whew, pardoned from judgment. So I can live well. I can, I can have good things. That fits really well with consumer, American consumerism. I'll sign up for that. God is not interested in behavior modification. Good little creatures behaving themselves, you know, so that his world runs smoothly, like he's made some experiment. The experiment went wrong. Now I'm going to correct that experiment and get it working right again. What a monstrous idea. As if God just takes delight in a well-functioning system. Shockingly, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are filled with love for one another. And God created mankind in order to love us. To love us. To have relationship with us. And his love is never altered. It's steadfast. But Zechariah prophesies that because of that tender mercy, that father love, he will bring us into the same way of love. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, his face, the light of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the light of his love being forgiven, being freed from oppression and devotion to ourselves. We can enjoy his love and share it. That's what brings fullness of peace, living in the light of his love. Not just cessation of conflict, not just living comfortably and well, having the light of the love of God shining on us. That's what God's people are waiting to enjoy in fullness. That's what we're waiting for. When the judgment of God is made and evil's cleared away, renewed men, women, and children will live in the full light of God's love. 
It's his face full of pleasure, full of delight in us, shining on us. It's his smile on us. I don't know how to represent this. He, he takes pleasure in us. The beaming delight of the Father, laughing with joy simply because he likes us. Christians who lack peace have given ground to the enemy in this. They've given ground to a lie that God frowns on his people. That he frowns on his people. That he frowns on us as a whole church. That he frowns on us as a local church. That he frowns on you as a person because you're naughty. That's Satan. Let me ask you, can you imagine God the Father frowning and displeased with Jesus? Does he look at Christ? Does he look at Jesus on the cross, his pouring out of himself, his dying on behalf of us, and say, that is not enough? Absurd. Clearly not. That's an absurd thought. Christian, you are in Christ. That's you. You are in Christ. The love that the Father has for the Son is now the love that he has for you. You're in the Lord Jesus. And the Father looks at the Lord Jesus with delight and joy and love and passion. That is how he looks at you. You are in Christ. So be at peace. Receive his peace because you have peace with God. Christ has come to bring peace to mankind. And he has welcomed us into it. He's guided our feet into the way, the truth, the life, and peace. So cast off your gloom. Cast it off. Cast off the lie of earning God's love. Cast off the lie that you can lose God's love. Cast off the way of darkness. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. He has given us the way of light and we have peace with God. You are a new creation, a new creature. So right now, full peace has been secured. Christ has come, bringing the dawn of our emancipation, the dawn of freedom. He has come. Dayspring from on high has appeared so we can glimpse the bright day that's coming. The shadow of evil is great. It's heavy. The hostility of the enemy is intense. The hostility and desperation of the enemy grows as the day draws near. But the Prince of Peace is coming. He cannot be defeated. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for making us one in Christ, our risen Lord. That you have brought us into him. And so we have the light of your face on us, shining, beaming on us.
Lord, let our hope be firm. Let our peace abide as you commanded it to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray.